welcome you sexy goddess to the sweetest little life. I am your host, Courtney Hansen. I'm an author, yogi, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist specializing in trauma. My passion is to bring you wisdom each week with amazing guests to spark integration of all parts of yourself, to nurture your spirit, stimulate the mind, and love your body just a little bit more with each episode that drops. If you love this podcast and want more amazing resources for spiritual growth and holistic healing, make sure to download our app, The Sweetest Little Life, or head to the website, thesweetestlittlelife.com. Grab your favorite cup of tea or throw on your yoga pants and head for a walk while we hang out for the next 30 minutes of Soul to Soul Connection. Hello, Suzanne, and good morning. Welcome to The Sweetest Little Life. I am so excited to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm well, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, so excited for today, and I think it's a topic that everyone has experienced at some point in life. Yes, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) So I love to kick off the show, and I, I just love a good story. So I like to hear the why behind the reason that you're doing the work you're doing. Of course. So you want me to just jump in and get started? Heck yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, so just, I guess, as a brief history, and I'm going to try to make this as brief as possible that, um, the work that I'm doing. So by trade, I'm a psychotherapist. So I've been working in a private practice setting. I'm a, I'm a licensed clinical social worker for about 17 years in, in, in doing what I'm doing. And I'm also more recently, I've started diving into the coaching space as an anxiety strategy coach. And I think, you know, I'll get into, of course, why I've, I've, I've come to do this work. Um, one of the reasons I started to do the anxiety coaching is based on my background as a therapist, which kind of sets me apart a little bit. There's we have a lot of coaches out there. Not every coach has the clinical background that I do, which makes my work with clients in that coaching space a little unique. And the most recent part of my journey has been getting into equine therapy, which is groundwork with horses and working with horses and clients for the clients to process and work through their um, anxieties, some traumatic experiences they've been through, which has been a really cool piece of the journey as well. So it's, it's really interesting work. So um, you had asked me how I got started in all this. So I'm going to just go back to that. So um, my journey as a therapist, and it's a question I often get asked. A lot of people are curious as to why therapists go into the field that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And my journey starts all the way back when I was a teenager. So when I was a teenager, I had, I, I struggled with some anxiety and depression and just kind of was in, you know, an angsty kind of teenager and just kind of succumbed to that part of, of who I was. And, you know, what, what transformed me essentially was I, I, I was the victim of a rape at the age of 18. Um, I was at a social engagement. I was at a party um, and, you know, I, I was the victim of a rape. And when that had occurred for me, of course, it was extremely traumatic. One of my friends who I had become friends with only a short few months before this party, he had hosted the party, we were very good friends. And um, the person who assaulted me was a friend of his. And so it was an interesting position to be in, because I was new to him as a friend. And 
he directly asked the person who assaulted me if that actually happened. The person said it did. And he literally threw that person out of his life and focused on me. And because he saw me in such distress, he immediately picked up the phone to call his therapist. And at that time, he, you know, his, he, his therapist walked him through how he could support me in that moment. And after he spoke with his therapist, was there for me, supported me, as did my other friends that were there. And the next words out of his mouth was, well, I have a therapy appointment this week and you're coming with me. So he brought me to his therapist, which was incredible. So his therapist, long story short, um, I met her. I had never been in therapy, like I said before, but had other things that I was struggling with prior to, um, you know, this assault that happened to me. And immediately I was connected to her and wanted to jump into my own therapy. I was 18 years old at the time. Um, My parents were in agreement to it. They did not know what had happened. Um, I did not disclose to them that I was that I was raped. Um, but I started meeting with this therapist and not only did she help me work through the assault and the rape, but she did also help me start working through the anxiety and depression that I had had been struggling with. Now, as part of this whole process, in terms of my angsty teenage self, I was never, I was never really good at, at academics with school. I never liked school. I never enjoyed it. It was nothing I was passionate about or, or really cared about at the time, but when I sat and I, I was talking with my therapist, part of me was so enamored with what she was doing that I wanted to sit where she was sitting. Mm-hmm. I wanted to help people the way that she was helping me. And this, 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 this part of the journey is over the course of several years working with her too. Um, I started going to college as, as a lot of us in North America do. It's the expectation we, we typically have in high school. I went to college for um, fashion design and, and costume design. And I tried to do all these different creative things with my life, but nothing was really clicking. And I was still going through a lot in those moments too. I never, I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to do what my therapist was doing, but I didn't think I could. I didn't think I was smart enough or, or had the ability to do it. Um, but I wanted to. So through my college journey, which was quite a long one with switching majors, never really connecting to anything that I was passionate about um, completely. um, I ended up meeting my husband. I started dating my husband at that time, around that time. And when I met him, he had just graduated from college and he was different than any other guy I had dated. Um, He was he heard me in a different way than other people had. He was invested in me. He actually cared for who I was as a person at the core. And throughout this time I met him, you know, the first several months I was like, you know, I really want to, I really would like to go to college to be a therapist. I really want to get a degree. I want to understand what it's like to do that work, but I don't think I can. And he, he encouraged me to just go for it and to just do it. So I ended up switching my major again to psychology. And for the first time in my academic career, it came super easy to me because I was interested in it because I, I, I knew it. I had, I had sat there before I was, I was a client. I was a a patient. I went through my own process and I was still going through my own process of healing at that point. Um, And just, just an add on to this. When I did start going to college before I really knew what I wanted to do when I was in high school, I remember sitting with my guidance counselor who was encouraging me not to go to college because I didn't have the in air quotes grades that, probably would support a college education. Mm. So that was another thing that sat in the back of my mind. So through this, through this time, um, I ended up going to college, I ended up getting a degree in psychology, it was a pretty easy journey for me. Um, 
despite what I thought. And I ended up applying to graduate school. And I ended up applying to um, a, a very few, a very few graduate schools. I live in the northern New Jersey area. There aren't a lot of graduate schools around that um, for, for social work at that time. And I also had to work full time. So I ended up throwing my hat in the ring. I applied to New York University for their clinical social work program. It's a very prestigious school, as we know, New York University. And, and being someone who had the history I did academically, I didn't know that I could do it. Well, that was one of the only schools that I got into. Oh my so gosh. I ended up, right? So I, and, and when I think about that now, I say, well, that guidance counselor was encouraging me not to go to college. Not only did I end up going to college to get a degree in psychology, but now I've been accepted in one of the most prestigious master's degree, you know, programs for social work, which was pretty incredible. Mm, I was just going to say probably a better college than he went to. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I ended up getting my master's degree. Um, and I got, you know, I got my master's degree in social work. And then you have, so once you get your master's degree in social work, you can't just, you can't just start being a therapist. You have to get licensed. You have to get clinical hours. So I ended up going through that process and all the while. So I was in therapy with my, the same therapist that started seeing me when I was 18. I was in therapy with her on and off, but it kind of transitioned into a different, a different relationship. And I always like to put a caveat out there because as, as therapists, we do have to hold ethical boundaries. And my story is unique because it doesn't typically happen. It's not the norm when you have a client-therapist client connection. But throughout my journey, my therapist knew everything that I had gone through, knew everything that I had gone through academically, emotionally. And she knew where I was. She knew that I wanted to do the work that she was doing. And she knew that I wanted to do it because of her and because of how much she helped me go through what I went through. And it's always an emotional part here. So as I was going through my clinical, um, getting my clinical hours and getting supervised clinically, she would, she would often joke around to me. Um, we kind of transitioned she, into more of a, we touched base every few months. We stayed in touch. Um, she was very supportive of my journey. And we got to a point as I got older where it almost kind of, transitioned into um I, I, I want to say like a friendship but with boundaries right so she um she I, I did invite her I invited her to my wedding um I got married my last year of grad school she attended my wedding which was a huge deal for me and she would joke with me as you know our relationship changed and transitioned that through my journey as a therapist, she would say, you know, one day, yeah, one day we'll work together or one day we'll be in the same practice or one day, you know, we'll find a way. So once I got my clinical hours, um, she called me because she said, you know, she was, she was partnering with a, a different practice. And she said, you know, I'm going to need, I need somebody to come in here and do intakes and just do intakes and assessments, basic assessments, but on, on clients, not necessarily see them for therapy. So she asked me if I would like to do that as part of my, as part of getting my feet wet into the, into the, into the field. So I started doing that. She supervised me, which was really cool because she knew, she knows who I am, right? So supervising me in gaining some clinical expertise and diagnostic expertise was a unique experience for her, her as well, because she knew what clients were bringing up in me and 
you know, which was an interesting dynamic. And then once I got officially licensed, I started working for a psychiatrist and that was my first private practice setting position. And at the time that I was working with that psychiatrist, I ended up getting pregnant with my daughter and I left that practice for many reasons. I wasn't connected to that psychiatrist. Um, it just didn't, the energy didn't feel right there. So my, my old therapist, or I guess um, budding colleague at this point had called me and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still on my own in my own, you know, private practice, but I'm getting older and I want to start taking on associates and I want to start building a small practice. And there's nobody I can think of that I would want more than you to be my first associate. So it's, again, it's emotional. So I know this is a pretty long story. So I, of course, said yes. So I started working with her um, in, a, in a private practice setting about 12 years ago. And yeah, so to this day, um, we, we work together. Um, we're, our fam, she's very connected to my family. And we've transitioned from therapist-client relationship to, to lifelong family friends. And again, I, I tell this story because if it weren't for everything that unfolded that was really traumatic in my life and it wasn't for my friend, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be talking, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. This podcast wouldn't be happening right now. Um, it was because of these events in my life that at the time seemed completely unraveled everything, everything that I knew in my life. Um, these events happened for a reason and this is what led me to do what I do. This is what led me down the path to do what I do. Um, so now I'm in a position where I just, I look at myself every day in the mirror and I say how, you know, I can't even believe that this is, this is my life because this is what I've wanted for so long. And it's, it's, it's happening. If that makes sense. I know a little bit all over the place here, but um, no, I just, I have chills. Our stories are actually very, very similar. And I, I are just, they really? yeah, I just, I, I, one, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that because I know it's not easy to kind of go through everything again. And also yeah. just when people like that touch our lives, my, I mean, I, I've got to tell you this because I literally have chills all over my body. Oh so my when I tried to kill myself and had postpartum depression oh, and went through yeah. all this, I had yeah. been to conventional therapy before and I'd never mm -hmm. met someone like the therapist who changed my life. And she yeah. is the person who inspired me to go back to school in my 30s, to completely switch oh, careers, to get trauma-informed, awesome. to do all oh the God. things. And I am still friends with yeah. her um, to fantastic. this day. And now I work with her. Um, she oh, actually just left no where way. we work. But <laughs> same thing. So I'm like, oh my gosh, that came full circle. <laughs> Parallel. Holy crap. And 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 that, I like uh, that, that, I'm so glad that you shared that too, Courtney, because I think even for people listening, it, it just tells the tale, right? That you, you, you have to find the person that works for you, especially in this work with mental health yes. or therapy, right? When we're going for, a lot of people go to therapy for the first time and they say, well, I guess I have to meet with this person, even though I don't feel connected to them. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. You can meet with the most world-renowned, brilliant, quote unquote person. And if you don't click or connect with them, right? Or if you don't feel their energy or if you don't feel something, 
that 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 energy between the two of you, it's probably not going to be effective therapy and it might turn you off to therapy. So I'm absolutely, I'm so grateful that you were able to find that you found her, that you stumbled across her and found her. I'm so glad that you said that too. I always tell people it's not a one size fits all type thing for healing. You have to find what works for you. And that doesn't look the same for everyone because we're all built so differently. Mm -hmm. That is so true. It's so true. So I would love, you said something in the beginning of your story that I just had a light bulb moment for, and if it's too vulnerable, totally get it. But I thought this would be very helpful because I know that a lot of women have serial rape or an assault of some sort. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what do you do in that moment to support you? So if someone here is listening and they are in that position or they know someone who has been through that, how can they support their friend? So what did my friend do? He believed me. Yeah. He believed me with no questions asked. And, and, and as I was sharing that, I, I really always want to emphasize that I had only known him for a couple of months. It was not anything like I had, this is not somebody I knew for years. This is not somebody at the time. I don't think we were, we were that connected. I'm still, I am still very much friends with him and he, he's knows my family. Like it's, that's, that's a, that's a great relationship. But at the time he didn't, he didn't really know me. He had known, he had known um, the person who had raped me years years of years of friendship that he had with this person and when he found out what happened and i told him what happened he believed me no questions asked and kicked that other guy out of his life completely which was so anybody who is in that position as you said who's listening or has been through that i think is the most important piece that if I was not believed, if I was questioned, if I was, oh, you know, you're making this up or, you know, whatever the typical thing that people might think or say to somebody in that position, Mm -hmm. he did not, he did not say that to me. He believed me. And then he's being heard in that moment. Yes. Being heard in the moment. And then, you know, being able to see that he was in a position, I get, you know, he already had um, support with for his mental health and his emotional his his emotional stuff he was going through and instead of saying well you should call my therapist or maybe you should get a therapist or me he he was almost you know you're you have no choice you're coming to see this my therapist with me um he (laughs) supported me right he supported me through that you know um and it was his own therapy session that he made into mine because he knew that i needed that support in that moment yeah Incredible. I just, Mm -hmm. I I think that's something that needs more awareness on how people can be support in that moment because it is such a uncomfortable eggshell situation in general and a very fragile for the other person. So being able to honor that space for the person to feel heard and to be seen in that moment, I think is the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So moving forward, you are the yes. anxiety alchemist. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes. I'm just, I, again, thank you for sharing that. I know I, I, I'm touching on some very vulnerable topics and I no, appreciate you. I was just, okay. I heard of that course. and I had this download and I was like, someone who's listening right now needs to, needs to of know course. this information. Yeah. And so I try and listen to those intuitive yeah. guides. Yeah. Um, so 
alchemy for anxiety. What does that look like? Okay, that's a great question. So part of so the where I came up with that name or what does that look like so when we think about an alchemist you know when I well when I think about an alchemist I think I I think of like uh, the renaissance era and medieval stuff and I think of the guy in the village who concocted the solutions and the potions and the healing from the earth that kind of uh, quote-unquote medicine where people had ailments or people were struggling they would go to this one person and they would have a solution for how they can get through whatever they were going through. And when I think of what I have created over my history of being a therapist, primarily working with people who most of my clients have anxiety, Mm. I have created through the work with my clients, these solutions or strategies that aren't one size fits all, but enough of them in my toolbox that I can teach clients how to work through their anxiety. And one of the things a lot of people who have anxiety struggle with is they say, I want to get rid of my anxiety. I don't want to have anxiety anymore. That's probably, that's not a realistic expectation because we all, we need anxiety to survive. It's part of our, it's part of our DNA as human beings to have some layer of anxiety, but people don't have to live with the overwhelming feelings or the overwhelming thoughts or the overwhelming intensity that their anxiety might present to them. So learning and understanding how to use strategies to move through anxiety, to make it feel less intense, to turn the volume knob down on their anxiety is really important. So the work that I do in my practice, I, I, I look at other people who might not have clinical anxiety or might not be candidates for therapy necessarily, but have stress and have overwhelm and have all of that. So I said to myself, you know, how could I take what I know as a therapist and create some kind of a platform online or virtually or work with people who maybe aren't in my area that would come to therapy who could use more of, a, of coaching, who could mo- use more strategy-based coaching to move through their anxiety. So that's kind of how that all emerged. Because I have friends coming to me all the time, you know, oh my gosh, this is, this is happening. What do I do? And I'm like, oh, you could, you know, you could do this, or this is, this is a strategy that's worked for me, or this is what I found to be helpful. And I just have been that person probably throughout my life that people just feel drawn to and will come and ask questions to. So I you know, with everything going on in the last couple of years, I was like, how can I create something for where I can reach more people? And how can I create something that might be beneficial to help people move through solutions and um, strategies to be able to navigate their anxiety in a different way? So that's kind of the, how this whole anxiety alchemist thing emerged. So I just started kind of putting myself out there, doing stuff virtually, doing stuff on social media and just kind of built another another way in which to help people move through those really, um, you know, stressful situations. I love that. So if for the listeners, I always like to give a top three. So things that they can start really implementing tool-wise just to walk away feeling like, yeah, I'm going to try these things this week and mm-hmm. just see if they fit. Um, yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> just, you know, adding to the toolbox, right? Yeah. So what would be your top three things that you see success with if someone is in the middle of really struggling with anxiety? Okay. So the first thing I would say is the, the, the first thing is the three, the top three things I'm going to give right now, the understanding and the expectation of don't wait till you're super overwhelmed and anxious to try them. 
you have to practice them when you're feeling a little bit anxious or a little bit stressed. Don't wait till it's out of control. So that's the first thing. We want to practice these strategies. We want to practice these things differently and not wait till we're completely unglued or overwhelmed. So that's one of the first things. So the first thing that I would say is to recognize and understand that your anxious thoughts, your stressful thoughts, the thoughts that the what if scenarios that we completely just snowball into the world's going to end or the floor is going to open up and I'm going to fall into the deep depths of hell or whatever, right? Those, those things that basically are driven by our anxiety, those thoughts to understand and, and recognize that our thoughts are just our thoughts. Your thoughts don't necessarily mean that it's true. Your anxiety probably is projecting what you think might happen, but what actually hasn't happened. So you are allowed to be the observer of your thoughts without succumbing to them or without agreeing with them. And you're allowed to question your thoughts. So to view your thoughts as if you were scrolling through Netflix, trying to find the next show to watch, you're probably going to preview some stuff. You're going to watch the trailer, but you're not going to commit to something unless you really feel it's connected to you. So you doing the same thing with your anxious thoughts that you would when you're scrolling through Netflix, if that makes sense. Love that. Mm -hmm. So that's the first one I would say. The second thing I would say is when you're having all of when you're having a lot of anxious thoughts that are swimming around in your head. And a lot of this happens right before we go to bed at night, because we don't have the distractions during the day. Um, take out a piece of paper and literally do a brain dump and write every single thing that you're worried about on a piece of paper. Don't judge what you're writing. Your first thought is always your best thought. Just write every single thing down to get it out of your head. And once you do that, Look at the list that you've created and recognize what the things are on that list that you could actually do something about. What are the things I can control? What are the things that I can make a plan towards? Because a lot of those things you probably have no control over and cross out all the things that you don't have control over. And then you'll probably be left with a smaller list and you can make a plan towards those things that you can actually do something about. And when you start to become overwhelmed with all the thoughts that you just wrote down, you can just say to yourself, you know what, I'm still recognizing that I'm having these anxious thoughts, but I just chose to do something about them and let me refocus on that. Mm -hmm. So that's the second quick, quicker kind of, I guess, um, start to a strategy that people could use. And then the other thing is if you're, if you're open to writing things down, I would just take out a piece of paper, whether it's every morning or at nighttime, make it kind of a daily habit and recognize one of three things in one of three categories. So write down three things either that you're grateful for, three things that you're looking forward to, or three things that you like about yourself. And the second suggestion to that, only choose one of the categories, so you don't have to do all three every day. And if you have a notebook or a journal, at the top of each, at the top of a page, write things I am grateful for, and then write the three things. And then the next time you want to write things you're grateful for, write below that, th those three things. So you're going to essentially create a list under these three categories of things I'm grateful for, things I like about myself, things I'm looking forward to, so that when you are feeling overwhelmed, or you're feeling down, or you're feeling um, not okay, you can look at your, you can look at these lists and remind yourself, you know, 
of these three categories because sometimes even just giving yourself a pause and looking at those things or identifying those things in those categories can really make a difference in your overwhelming feeling. Oh, that is amazing. I'll never forget when I was younger and I was having kind of an off day and I struggled with anxiety when I was little, um, mm-hmm. my grandmother would come in and I didn't know what she was doing at the time, but <laughs> I swear to you, the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in my life, and I still use it to this day, mm-hmm. but she would come in and she could tell, like, you know, just energetically that I was off and she would be like, I want you to think of one thing that you are so excited for tomorrow. Oh. What What is that one thing? And I would be like, oh, I'm so excited that we're going to see hamsters at class or whatever it was. Right? <laughs> and uh, and then I would, she's like, okay. And, and she wouldn't like, be, she wouldn't talk to me about it. She would just ask me the question mm-hmm. and then she would leave and I would fall asleep. And I'm like, that's so weird. Yeah. Why are you doing that? She was reprogramming my dang she subconscious totally without even knowing, you know. Yep. So I look at it oh. now and I'm like, yeah, that was genius. So I use it with my kids and it's just such a simple tool because we want these like elaborate, complicated things. And when you're Mm -hmm. in the moment of anxiety, there is no elaborateness happening, right? Like we need simple to the point, get it done. We do. We do. And the expectation of let me practice these things before I, before I give up, right? You have to practice those things first. And I love that your grandmother brilliant that was such a simplistic thing but it, it completely distracted you and got you to refocus on something which how how wonderful that she was able to give you that yeah so every time I hear anything about anxiety I always go to that core memory and I'm like oh, oh that yeah. just makes me happy for sure <laughs> <laughs> so I know a lot of the audience is going to want to connect with you and mm-hmm. um, ask more questions. And if someone is going through something that you talked about, are you open to speaking with them and kind of guiding them? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, beautiful. Of course, of course, that's what I do. Okay, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So, where is the best spot that the audience can reach out to you directly? Um, probably on Instagram. So, my Instagram handle is at anxiety underscore alchemist. That's it. Beautiful. And I'll put everything in the show notes too with your website yep. and stuff too. If people want to do a little digging. Yes. Always <laughs> well, welcome. One, thank you so much for being vulnerable today and sharing your story. I know that you've touched a lot of people and I just thank you from the bottom of my, my heart of for being here today. Of course, Courtney. And thank you so much for doing this podcast and having all your guests on and just making this world a little bit brighter. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to The Sweetest Little Life today. I hope you walk away feeling inspired, feeling a little bit more lighter, a little bit more free than what you were before you hit that play button. As always, please, sharing is caring. We love to hear your thoughts. We love to get feedback, um, guest recommendations, all the things. And if you're not subscribed, Hit that little subscribe button before you leave today. And until next time, we will be hanging out soon.